welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Let's pray. Father God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that the words that are spoken would not be me. They'd be straight from the Spirit of God. That God, that you would touch our hearts. That there'd be a fresh anointing on celebrating 17 years, but really the beginning of the 18th year. Father, I pray that this year would be the breakthrough year for Victory Church. That God, there'd be a sense of, of revival that would come over this house and over the life of every student. And as we gather to worship, people wouldn't see us and they wouldn't hear a church name. They would see Jesus. So we lift up your name. You're the one who came and you're the one who lived. You're the one that died. And you're the one that conquered sin and death and rose from the grave. So we worship you right now. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Church, have a seat. And uh, I just want to take a moment. I just want to thank you guys. It's really a privilege to be here, honestly. Uh, my daughter Hannah and I are traveling together. And, and Teresa and Eric, a, a couple on our team. Uh, they're not a couple, but uh, two people on our team. And uh, yeah, T- Tony and his brother got introduced to us yesterday. <laughs> and it was kind of fun. Um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Joshua. We're going to look at, at what does it mean to become a Joshua generation. There's some notes. I just kind of like to keep track, some kind of talking points. And so if you want to um, keep track with me, that would be great. And you can take those out. And I'm going to spend some time. We're just going to look at, at, at a story in the Bible that I really think that this story, um, it, it carries such, such deep implications for our lives today. I really feel like whether you're, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Christ follower, whether you're maybe kind of checking out the whole God thing, no matter what it is, all of us have a barrier and all of us have this thing that separates us from where we're at and where God wants us to be. And we all have this destiny in Christ. And, and my dream for you, and I hope that your dream is for me in, in America and in Australia, that, that in our generation, we would see an authentic pouring down from heaven of the Spirit of God. That there'd be more people. I mean, you think about this, 95% of people in Adelaide, they don't even go to church. Yeah. And wouldn't it be cool to say, hey, let's whittle that number down to maybe about 50% at the end of this year. Yeah. And so let's thank God once again for 17 years of God-honoring ministry in this church. From 12 people to, to over 1,000 or 2,000 people. And see what God's going to do next. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at we're going to look at a key point in uh, the history of Israel. We're actually in a church we're in a series in our church back home called the Promised Land, and uh, so I felt like this this talk would bring um, I, I hope it brings hope to your heart. I hope it brings a sense of, of the truth that would bear on your situation wherever you're at. I, I hope that when the day is over, this is the thing, this is the word I have for churches these days. We're either going to be superficial or supernatural. We're either going to believe that God is a God of miracles or, or God is not. He's either the God of everything or he's the God of nothing. And my prayer tonight is that we would walk out of here feeling more confident of God's provision and protection. That, that he's sovereignly in control. That he loves the people that you know. That he's with you every step of the way. And so as we start, we, uh, we, we at our church we're doing this series and, and, and so we... Uh, uh, someone decided, let, let's do some funny stuff, like let's tell, tell the story of Joshua um, by way of, uh, oh, these epic drawings that you're going to see in a moment. Do, do we have these epic drawings? Okay, so you'll see these drawings are just like, they're amazing drawings. And so we said, let, let, let's do this, and someone said, let's do it every week, and then someone else said, hey, we'd like to get that. So it's kind of, 
kind of beyond me because I think it's, uh, you know, it's just kind of simple, but JD thought that you would love this, and so in, in, uh, to, to celebrate JD, I thought we would do this. So I'm going to tell the story with a few slides, and then we're going to teach through the talking points of the story, okay? All right, here we go. All right, sli- number one, here we go. Joshua and the Israelites, look at this, this epic story, epic picture. Joshua and the Israelites arrived at the Jordan River, where they camped before the crossing. Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord Yahweh will do great wonders among you. Second one, God told Joshua to have the priest carry the Ark of the Covenant, that would be Tony, into the river. And when they did, the flow of water would stop upstream and the river would stand up like a wall. Next slide. The river Jordan was flooding, but as soon as their feet touched the water, isn't that amazing? It stopped and the riverbed became dry. The whole nation of Israel crossed over on dry land to Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then God told Joshua to gather rocks from the riverbed and build a memorial as a reminder of what had happened that day. Last one. So the stones stand as a reminder to future generations of how the Lord led his people across the Jordan River to the promised land by the power of his hand. So there you go. So in case you decide to leave early, you you got the cliff note version of the story of Joshua crossing the Jordan River. Friends, I just want to look at a couple things. I want to look at, is there a way that we can position ourselves before God to see a miracle in our lifetime? Is there some things we can extrapolate from 3,400 years ago that could be relevant and current for our lives today? And here's the first thought. If you want to see a miracle in your life, this is the first thing, if you want to write this down or just keep this in your head, you need to look up and find courage in God. And look up and find courage in God. Now, look at this verse. I command you be strong and courageous. This is God speaking to Joshua. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And over and over, God says this to Joshua. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. I really believe that when God wants to do a a, a big thing like start a church, with 12 people, 17 years. When God wants to do a big thing, I always believe it starts with a sense of, can it really happen? It's a sense of questioning. I mean, ask Tony, if they didn't question it, a little bit of fear, is anyone really going to show up? Are we really going to find a building? Will someone lost really come to Christ? And God says to Joshua, and he says to us today, be strong, be courageous. Don't let fear come into your heart. You cannot have fear, authentic fear, or authentic faith and fear at the same time. It just doesn't happen. So I'm going to ask you, if you want a miracle in your life, number one, you have to look up. You have to look up and find courage. I'm talking kind of Aussie courage. And last year at this church, I shared, and if you were here, you remember, and uh, I actually share, I've shared this all around the world. I told you guys, I said, you, you, I, love the, I love rugby. I've told our church, and they kind of, I'm almost excommunicated from the church because I said, I really like rugby better than American football. And they look at me weird, and I'm like, you know what? Take the pads off, and let's see what happens. And they're like, no, we like our pads. And I'm like, you guys are a bunch of wimps. And, and, and so that's the thing I love about, about Aussies. I love a lot of things about Aussies. But the thing that troubles me about you, and I said this last year, it really troubles me that you eat your national symbol. I, I just find it awkward. I mean, it kind of scares me, to be honest. I'm, I'm glad that your symbol's not like a hamster or something, because that just would be weird. And, and so... Every restaurant, my daughter comes, she goes, Dad, I gotta, I got to eat kangaroo. So first restaurant we showed up, JD takes us to a restaurant, we ate, I think she had kangaroo and crocodile. Yeah. Okay, so check this out. We would never, ever, ever eat the American bald eagle. And last year, one of you, one of you yelled out, we would eat your bald eagle. 
And it was probably, probably Tony's friend. He's coming seeking God. He's like, I'll eat it. Bring it over. Friends, write this down. How you feel about God is the most important thing about you. If you believe God to love you and to have a sovereign plan for your life, and so this is, this is, what, this is a statement that I kind of have in my head. When your theology matches or meets your reality, you will find your destiny. When your theology, what you think about God, when that meets your reality where you're at today, that will determine where you'll go next, tomorrow, next week, next year. That will determine, will you take a risk for God I mean, are we going to live? Are we going to live as people? I mean, you guys got courage when it comes to eating your national symbol. You have courage when it comes to playing rugby. But, but can I say something? I don't think we have courage when it comes to reaching, reaching lost people. I, I think we get a little bit afraid. I don't want anyone to know I'm a Christian, and, and we got to break through that. We can't care what people think about us. We have to care only what God says about us, and what God thinks about us, and what God says about people that are far from Him. And, and so, we, uh, in fact, I, I want to show you this commercial. Do we have this commercial? Okay, so in America, um, we have this company called Geico Insurance. Has anybody ever heard of Geico Insurance in America? Okay, so no one. Cool. I love this. There are three people. Okay, so Geico is like, they got the best commercials. And, uh, and, and I, actually, I actually call our church a bunch of mamby-pambies because this commercial was so awesome. And uh, so I, I want to show you this commercial um, because I believe that sometimes this is, the, this is the place that we live as followers of Jesus. I mean, I mean, it's great to gather. And we can worship and we can jump up and down and we love it. And amen, amen. But I think sometimes on Monday we get a little shrink factor. I think sometimes on Monday it's like, <laughs> no. I'll let my friend talk about Jesus to that person. So take a look at this classic American commercial and, uh, and it's just for fun. It has really nothing to do with the sermon. It's just fun. Take a look. Could switching to GEICO really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Does a former drill sergeant make a terrible therapist? And that's why yellow makes me sad, I think. That's interesting. You know what makes me sad? You do! Maybe we should chug on over to Mamby Pamby land where maybe we can find some self-confidence for you, you jackwagon! Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I mean, think about it. If, what if we decided to be Christian, to be Christ followers, that would dangerously walk into this world, and we would reach this world, and we would dream big? I mean, who's ever to put a cap on God can't do that? And God won't do that. And as students, you know, you go to school, you go to university, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the minority. I don't want to. Well, Joshua's a minority, and he's the only one he and Caleb saw the promised land. So will we be a generation of Joshua's that will raise up and claim what Satan has stolen from us? Will we be that generation? And if we want to be, it's gonna, you have to look up and find courage in God. And when you look up, if you notice one thing, you're not looking sideways. You're only seeing God. Here's the second thing. You got to look in and prepare. You have to look in and prepare. They were camped at a place called Shedem. And if you're not careful how you say that, it comes out wrong. Um, they were camped six miles away from where they would cross um, the Jordan River into right by Jericho. And, and you wonder, like, why would God allow, why wouldn't God take them right to where they would stay? They were camped there for six months. And God's like, all right, pull the stakes up. We're moving you down. 
And in three days' time, we're going to cross. And in those three days, you're going to prepare. Look what it says. And Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. This word for great wonders is a cool word. It's the word palah. And this word, it sounds cool, but in the Hebrew, it's not just great wonders. It's something beyond human comprehension. It's something miraculous. It's something where you can't take credit for it. It's something where God does something in your life, like, 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 like heal someone of cancer, like, like heal someone of disease. We had a guy in our church, a pastor, a friend. In fact, he's spe- preaching, speaking this weekend. His name's Gary. And, and we, did, we did something at the end of a service that's not normal for us. I mean, it's not like every week we do this. And I, and I just felt God asking people to, to come forward and to be healed, whether it was spiritually or physically or relationally. God is, always, God is wanting to do this breakthrough thing in our lives. And Gary tells me afterwards, he says, I pray with this woman. And she starts, she starts crying. And I'm like, do you think it's because you didn't have good breath or too much coffee or, you know? And he, he shut up, you know, I'm trying to tell you a serious story. I said, um, I said, what happened? He says, I'm, I'm talking to her, I'm praying over her, and, and I'm praying for God to heal her. And she starts crying, and I, and I ask her, Gary, he says, what, what's wrong? What, what's happening? She says, from birth, I've never been able to hear out of my left ear. And as he was praying for her, speaking in her left ear, whispering because of music in back of us, she says, I can hear you, everything you said, perfectly. That's a palah. That's a miracle. That's something beyond, you can't make that happen, right? And, and I think that we got, we got to be a generation that will say, we want to see God do great and marvelous and amazing things in our generation. I, I mean, we don't want to live on stories from yesterday, last week, last month, two years ago. We want to see God move miraculously today. So I've got to look in. If you want to see a miracle in your life, you as a, as a young person, as a, a young man, you've got to look in. First, you've got to look up and find courage and stop looking sideways and stop looking at people. Stop looking at how big the river seems. Then you've got to look inside. And you've got to let your heart be prepared from the Holy Spirit. You've got to let God do what God wants to do in you. And this word for, um, for, for purity, for uh, purify yourself, is, is this Kadesh. It means to be set apart, to prepare, to dedicate to position, to posture myself before God, that God would do something. And uh, friends, I, 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 be- I believe this for your church. I, I mean, Friday night, seeing um, Tony and JD and, uh, and Johnny, uh, I'm sorry, Danny Guglielmucci, seeing, seeing these men and seeing these three churches in this city and seeing unity, I saw Johnny too, but he wasn't who I was thinking of. <laughs> Joking, buddy. Think about this. When you see churches starting to unify, that's a, that, that's a fulfillment of the last prayer of Jesus Christ. That, that's like God saying, my church is now all of a sudden not denomination or location or who's got the best church or the best furniture or the best, the best you know, the best muscular pastor. doesn't matter how good looking you are, how dumpy you are, or how tall you are, whatever. God wants to save the city of Adelaide, friends. And, and so you got to come to the point where you say, I'm going to look up. I'm going to find courage. I'm going to look in and I'm going to say, God, prepare my heart. I dedicate myself before you. Do whatever to show me. You want to know the most dangerous prayer in the Bible? God, show me anything offensive in my life towards you. Anything. I mean, David 
who, who was more broken than most of us in this room was the person, the only one in Scripture was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because his heart was dedicated for, before God. He was, he was always seeking God's heart. No matter how much you feel. I mean, okay. How many of us in this room have ever failed? Can, can I see a show of hands? You've ever made a mistake one? Praise the Lord. I feel like I'm home at my church back home. Did you know what? If you're not a broken person, Tony probably tell you, man, don't, you don't want to come here. You're going to mess it up for the rest of us. I mean, isn't it true? We're broken, and God does his best stuff through the broken stuff in our life. Your brokenness becomes the platform for God to work. So why is it that we come and we try to kind of hide the brokenness? Why can't we come? You're never going to be fully loved until you're fully known by someone else. So friends, you've got to look in and prepare. You've got to look up and find courage. Then you've got to look in and prepare your heart and say, okay, God, I want a miracle. And there's this river and it's raging and it's flooding. And I want to get to the promised land. I want to get to this destiny you have. I don't want to settle for some sort of second best existence. I want all that you have for me. And here's the third thing. If you want to write this down. The third thing is you have to look out and risk everything you have. I, I, I mean, my guess is I see a pastor like Tony and beyond intimidation and thinking he could beat me in arm wrestling. You know what? He and his wife and his family and friends, they've, they've bled for this church. They've risked everything they have. I can tell you because we started a church just, just about the same time. And, and, and they can't do it by themselves. Do, do, you know what, do you know what they want? And I can tell you what they want because they probably wouldn't tell you. They need people that are willing to partner, people that are willing to roll up their sleeves, people that are willing to put a towel around their arm for the city of Adelaide, people that are willing to do whatever it takes with whatever they have to reach every single person in this city for Jesus Christ. And if someone can tell me a mission more important than reaching lost people, I will literally sell everything I have and follow you wherever. If you can show me that that's a better thing. But last time I checked, the only thing we'll never do in heaven is reach people for Christ. That's, the, that's one thing we will never have a chance to do. And you know people, and so do I, that if they died, they would spend an eternity separated from the God that put breath in their bodies. So friends, you got to ask, will I, will, am I willing to risk everything that I have? i got to prepare. And, and if you're not preparing, there's no power in that. To somehow think we can get a miracle without preparing our hearts and saying, God, search my heart. Not going to happen. But once you're positioned and you're postured and you're ready and you're like, okay, I'm going to risk everything I have. I'm, I'm going I'm to do everything I can for God to step out. It's just the one step that matters. Check it out. Verse 8 of chapter 3. Give these instructions to the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. And this is it. Today you will know the living God is among you. That's what the city needs to see. That that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Pezzasites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and the Multisites and the Websites and the Termites and every other ite you can imagine. There's so many ites. And every time I read this passage, I'm like, why couldn't they have came up with simpler names? Um, (laughs) 
It says, think of it, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. The priests will be carrying the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. When their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream, and the river will pile up there in one heap. When the people set out to cross the Jordan, verse 14, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now it was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, think of this church, the water began piling up at a town upstream called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. And then all the people crossed over near the city of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood on dry ground in the midst, in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by them. They waited there until everyone had crossed. Keep that word in your mind, the Jordan on dry ground. The Jordan River is the most important river in all of the Bible. It's mentioned 181 times in the Old Testament. It's mentioned 18 times in the New Testament. Jesus was baptized in the same river. Now, rivers in that day, just, just so we have a little bit of a context, for us, we don't think about the implications of what does it mean to cross a river, but they were coming out of a pagan culture in Egypt where they would worship the river. The Nile River, they would worship it as a god. The Canaanites would have worshipped the Jordan River as a god. But, but to the Israelites, they wouldn't have worshipped the Jordan, but you know what it represented? It was a barrier between where they were and where God wanted to take them. It was a barrier between what was and what could be. It was a barrier between, and I think we get this in our lives, we have these barriers where it's like, God just wants you to take one step. God wants to restore your marriage. God doesn't want us living lukewarm. God doesn't want us living in some sort of, I mean, Jesus didn't come to give you just life. He came to give you abundant life. It wasn't a land flowing with just milk. It was milk and honey. It was, a, it was not milk is what we need, but honey is what we want. And so God wants to give you this abundant life, but it's, it, it's, you're standing here and it's just one step to get over there. And the problem is most of us are living, we kind of take this substandard sort, sort, of, sort of mamby-pamby, I'll just live here. Now for the priests, stepping into the Jordan, it would have been a 17 to 20 foot drop. It was flood season. It was nothing like what the Jordan River would look like today. There were no dams in the river. It would have started, the drop 9,000 feet up, and it would have went 1,400 feet below sea level to the Dead Sea. So you think about this river, but you think about the implications, and God says, I got something for you. It's over there. All you got to do, and he told them, step in. How many of us want something miraculous, but we're on the other side of the river just waiting? We're waiting for somehow for the river to dry up. And God's like, no, 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 no. I have something abundant life. I have a dream. I have a destiny. I have, I have something bigger and better than you could ever imagine. You just got to step in. And God just is like, go ahead. And he's waiting. And it's not that he doesn't love you. You know what? He wants your faith to intersect with his faithfulness in order for a miracle to happen. Church, it's when you and your, it's your availability plus God's dependability, will always equal blessability. I, I mean, anything in life, if you, want, um, if you want to have a good diet or you want to have a good garden or you want to have whatever it is, there's always a way to get to what you want. I, I mean, you don't w- wake up eating Krispy Kreme donuts and look like Tony. 
in a year. You just, just, I'm sorry, it just doesn't happen. The physics don't allow for that. You, your availability, you have to say, I want what God has for me. And how many of us have just kind of sold out? It's like, I just don't really, I don't, is it, we don't trust God? Here, here's something, here's something. I think the chokehold of the church, and I, I guess in Australia as much as America, the chokehold, the stranglehold that Satan has is our fear to witness with, for people. And it's kind of like, well, church is for us, and we're going to gather. And I'm like, I don't want to gather in a country club. The church was never set up to be a country club. The church is set up to be a hospital for people that are sick and need Jesus Christ. So, so when do we ever sell out, right? Also, I think, here's another one. For some, you're, some of you are in, you're in here living. So the bondage in your life is that you don't see finances the way God sees them. You trust him for your eternity. You trust him for heaven. You've never seen it, but you trust him for it. Why is it that Jesus talked more about finances, 2,283 verses in the New Testament about, about one thing? Why is it that the one thing Jesus talked about the most, we don't want to hear? I, it, is it possible that we're standing in the Jordan River and God's like, I want to open up the floodgates of heaven. I want to pour out so much blessing that you can't contain it. And is it true that sometimes when truth hits us, we don't want to hear it? And so what do we do? We're like, ah, I'm just going to back up. God, I trust you for this. But this one area, I'll handle. Jesus, 16 out of 38 parables, more verses about money and possessions than heaven, hell, love, and prayer all combined. Church, some of us are in that, that your barrier is God's like, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. I want, I want to make the business that you want. And this is not prosperity teaching. I'm just saying God, the only time in all of scripture says, test me in this. The only thing ever, test me, just, te- just please test me. Because I want to open up the floor. I got the, I got the doors. And, and someone's like, just, just crack it, God. Just give me just a little bit of blessing. And God's like, no, you go first. You go first. And when you go first, I will pour out so much blessing. You know what? Whenever, I, I don't know about in Australia, I can tell you, whenever ever I talk about money, I, our church right now is in a, um, we, we, we have been, uh, we've been in a building kind of space thing for, for the better part of five years. So we've got, we, we've tried everything, campuses. We've at one point, we're at seven or eight services on the weekend. And we've just, finally, I'm like, God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I really kind of wish we had a building. So we ended up going to a mall that was like an old, like I guess you'd say like a Walmart store. And we were there for six months. And some people in church said, that's ah, stupid. Why would you move? And I'm, I'm telling you, Paul said he'll do things that are foolish for the sake of the gospel. Why wouldn't the church? Yeah. And then we ended up going to a Kmart store. And the owner, and, and I did, I begged him, I manipulated him, I did everything so he would just give us some time. He's like, 90 days. I'm like, perfect, I'll take it. Five million bucks. Our church thought I was nuts. And I'm like, no, I'm not nuts, really. We need a place to meet so people can come to Christ. It's a 37-year-old building. Look around. Be careful not to touch something, it'll probably fall apart. And, and you know what? The second weekend, I, I, I stepped up on the pulpit on the stage and I said church I said I got good news and bad news I said you know what we've got all the money all five million dollars and people were cheering and clapping and it was like oh, yeah I'm like the bad news is it's still in your bank accounts <laughs> I think yeah really but you know what 
We're now sitting with a month left, and we're over $3.5 million raised money to, to get this building. And, and seriously, it is not like how cool we are. It's just how good God is. It, it, and you know what? If, I, if we wouldn't have stepped into the river, there'd be no building to talk about. It's only when we risk everything we can. And so my question is this. Why do we hang on to finances and not trust God? I ask our church all the time. Why is it that we, and Tony did not ask me, this is just me, so I may not even get invited back, but I'm telling you. Why is it the one thing that matters most, the one thing, the acid test of your faith? You, you want to tell me how devoted you are to God? I'm going to tell you, show me your calendar and show me your checkbook. But some of you are like, oh, this is a bad night to come to church. And you know what I say? I think it's the best night ever. Because God wants to do a breakthrough in your faith. Because you've been in bondage way too long. We have never in, in, in 14 years as a church, ever, not one single time, had to help someone financially. That, that, and we help hun- literally hundreds of people every month. And in fact, our local electric company sends people to our church. And we're like, great, we'll help. We've never had to help a single person ever that's been faithful with their finances with God. Not one time recorded. Not to say it wouldn't happen. I'm just saying, test me in this and see if I'm not going to open the... Generosity is at the heart of God. And every single time you see blessing in the Bible, every single time it's tied to finances, generosity, it's tied to sacrifice. Every time. So church, let's, get, let's just get this. My daughter... I, I could share this. She would never share this. My daughter. We, you know, I didn't even ask her. I'm like, you know, I wanted all of our staff, and she's an intern at our church. I'm like, Hannah, um, you know, are you going to do anything, like help with the pledge or whatever? H- Hannah, um, on her own. This is something a dad can share because I'm proud of her, right? Hannah, on her own, um, she, she gives every dime she had, which was all of $200, to, 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 to our building thing, right? We get to Australia, and through the blessings of several people here, People have blessed her far more than her gift. Test me in this, says God. How about this one? Here's here's another one. Some of you are like, get off the finance thing, man. We're not. All right, fine. How about this? How about toxic relationships? How about the barrier that you have such bitterness in your life because someone has hurt you and it's real? But at what point will you let it go and step into the Jordan River? I I mean, having bitterness towards someone is sort of like saying, I'm going to drink poison and hope that you die. Why is it that we hold such unforgiveness in our hearts toward parents or friends or people that have hurt us? And and, and am I saying the blood of Jesus isn't enough? I just think tonight is a breakthrough night for some of you. I think tonight some of us are going to be freed up. I think some of your marriages, I think we, we live, I know in America, we live in a state of sort of like I call it roommate mode. What was romance became quickly roommate. Now we're doing all right. Really? Are you really doing abundantly all right? Are you really experiencing all that God has for you? Or are we just kind of coexisting, accepting? Because I'm on this side of the river saying, it just doesn't look, it looks too deep. And it looks like some, I could drown, maybe. But whatever we're doing here sure isn't working, right? And God wants us to take a step. And I'll tell you what, the only step that matters is the first step, by the way. It's the only one. Friends, God, um, God wants to bring blessing in your life. And, and this is this, the word for crossing. And, and you could call this talk the Avar moment, the Ava moment. It's A-V-A-H. This Ava moment is where we translate. We get the English word crossing, but the word is so much different. It, it's a, to a Jewish person, the Ava moment, they would understand this because it would be a bar mitzvah. It would be a marriage, uh, a, the birth of a child. 
It's this moment where it's this, the Ava moment is the moment that creates a movement. Churches aren't built by thousands. They're built just like that story we saw. One changed life at a time. And she had an Ava moment where God stepped in when everyone else apparently stepped out. You will never know what God would do until you step into the water of what God could do. You will never, ever experience a blessing, friends. And I'm saying, let's get out of Mamby Pamby land, shall we? I mean, Aussies are tough people, right? You're tough. Let's be tough outside the church. Because I think being tough is trusting Jesus. It's giving him our life. Really, toughness is humility. Toughness is surrender. Toughness is forgiving. And I want to be a part of a church like that. A church that will do everything that God asks us to do. And it's really only the first step. And this is the generation that God wants us to do it in. He wants to do a miracle in your life. He wants to change your life. He wants to change your marriage. He wants to bring a, a sense of restoration physically to your body. The, the question is, is, can God, is God able? The question is, will you step in the water? Friends, here's the fourth thing. When the Israelites looked up and found courage in God and not courage in people, and when they looked inside their hearts and said, God, prepare us. And then they looked out. They stepped in the water, risked everything. It would have took five hours. A thousand people across it would have took five hours for them to walk across the Jordan River. And God gave them a very important last instruction. It was this. Look back and remember only God. Look back and remember. We have spiritual amnesia. That's why we do communion. Jesus never told us to remember his birth. We should. We ought to. We will. But he told us to remember his death. Why? Because that's where things get recalibrated. It's at that point where we say, oh, okay. So will you look back? Once God does a miracle, look look at this. When all the people are safely across the river, the Lord Yahweh says to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell the men to take 12 stones from where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan and pile them up at the place where you camp tonight. And drop down to verse 24. He did this so that... All the nations of the earth might know the power of the Lord, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. I so love that. I want to be people like that. Where when buildings get built and where lives get changed, our church has seen thousands of people baptized, and not one time it's like, well, of course, that's exactly what we thought. Do you, do you know what? Do you know how the first baptism happened at Living Hope Church? For seven years, this is what I would say about our church, we were safe. We were comfortable. We were three or 400 people. And seven years from five, 10 people, seven years later, about 350, 400. And you know what? We were a good church. We had bingo night. We had all kinds of cool things. <laughs> but you know what made us a dangerous church? There was a day we had a baptism scheduled, 60 people scheduled to be baptized. They went through the baptism class and all those things. I mean, all this stuff. I, I've, I've, I've learned. I, you, you find a five-year plan in the Bible. I talk to pastors all the time like, well, you know, we have a five-year strategic plan. It's a five-year plan. We don't have a five-day plan. I don't know what the Spirit of God is going to tell us to do next. You couldn't have forecast what's going on in Christ church. You couldn't have forecast Katrina in America. You can't all of a sudden say, well, we're going to factor in this. You just got to be sensitive to the Spirit of God and let God lead you. And that is what the plan of God is. Many are the plans in a man's heart or a pastor's heart or a person's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. 
So we had this thing, and we had these baptisms, and it was all safe, and we had towels for them, and it was just, ooh, bring your bathing suit. It was just good and safe and clean. But you know what I've learned? Real faith is really messy. Grace is messy. Living for Jesus is messy. One of my pastors, actually, who was in charge of the baptism, lost the list seven years ago. And I'm like, well, then you have it in Excel? He says, no, I hand wrote it. I said, are you stupid? <laughs> That's what computers are for. Hello. And uh, he's like, I wasn't thinking. And we had 60 people, and it was, it was safe, and it was predictable, and it was, it was just what it was. And I'm like, God. And, and these are the moments, I'm telling you, as a pastor, you're like, now what do I do? And I felt God impress my heart. You're going to get in the water in your clothes, and you're going to do a gospel presentation. And you're going to ask people to get up out of their seats in their clothes. Now, keep in mind, this is not Adelaide, and this is not 80 degrees. We're talking the Northwest in November where it's like, you know, zero degrees Celsius. A little cold. Like you walk out and your clothes are frozen before you get home, okay? And God said, this is what you're going to do. And I'm like, I don't think so. And God's like, oh, yeah, you will one way or the other. So I preached about God's grace, and I preached about the prodigal son, and, and then I just took my mic off, and I just got in the water, had a handheld mic. I said, you know what? Some of you right now, right here, right now, if you died, you would face a Christless eternity. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, I never knew you. And he's talking to someone religious, and I just shared this message, just poured my heart out. And that was my story. I never knew you. But I did these things in your name. I never knew you. Not I don't love you. I never knew you. And so I shared and I said, you know, and, and asked people to pray to ask Christ in their heart. We had a pool, a 3,000-gallon pool right in the middle of the auditorium. And then I said, anybody ask Christ in their heart and had them raise their hand and, I don't know, lots of people, you know, a couple hundred, whatever. I said, okay. Every baptism in the Bible was by immersion. And many of them were on that day. It says they were saved and baptized on that day. So where we, where we had the whole class and safety and manuals and all that, God, God, what God was doing, it, he was taking it to the simplicity of the gospel message, right? So I'm standing in the water. And I told our staff ahead of time, I'm, I said, look, I'll get in and I'll be a fool for Christ. But if you, someone doesn't come to get baptized, someone better need to be redunked or they may lose their job. <laughs> right? So kind of hedge my bet a little bit. And, and I got in and I, and I preached. I said, if you've asked Jesus in your heart, we have the courage, we have the guts to get up right now and get baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. On that weekend, we had 60 scheduled and we lost the list. And praise the Lord, we had over 300 baptized that weekend. So, I look back every time the pool set up in our auditorium. And people now know, they're like, do I sign up? I'm like, nope, just show up. We rented out the biggest arena in our town. This is just one story, and then I'm going to close this out. We rented out this arena, and uh, it was the uh, uh, Portland Trailblazers. It was, you know, Portland Arena, and uh, sat 15,000 people or something. I asked our church, I said, you know, I want you guys to just, just do, we're going to do something big for God for Easter. So we did a second offering, you know, and we're not Baptists. We just did a second offering just because, and we had, um, that weekend, on a second offering, $140,000 come in. And I was like, and I told him, I said, you guys set the vision. I'm not going to tell you a vision. You're going to set the vision. 
So when that money came in, I was like, hmm, what do I do with this? I called that arena. We're talking 40 days, and the arena, the arena was available. I said, okay, so how much? And they said it was about 140000 I'm like, okay, two plus two is four. All right, I guess we'll rent it. She says, you mean 2011 or whatever? I'm like, no, I mean like this year. She goes, like this year in like a month and a half? I'm like, yeah, 40 days. On the 41st day was Easter weekend. And she's like, have you guys ever done a big event with thousands of people before? I'm like, no. Why do you care? We're giving you the money. <laughs> if it works, God did it. If it doesn't work, I'm going to blame one of our pastors. <laughs> On that weekend, with no advertising, with 40 days, we had 15,000 people showed up. We had, and I'm only, I, I didn't do the research this. I'm only telling you what other people said. It was the largest baptism in America with a single church in a single service on a single day, over 700 people baptized. Now, check it out. I'm not, um, friends, the only reason I'm telling you is, look, you have a godly leader that will risk. He is gonna, he'll step in the water he and his wife and the church staff, I guarantee they're like this. They will step out and they'll risk. The question is, will you follow their leadership? The question is, when they have these events, um, will you bring your friends to these events? The question is, will we look up and find courage and not just be sort of like, you know, you know you, 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 do I have a couple more minutes? Okay, so here it is, Peter. Peter gets so much, do you think he gets so much crap because he got out of the boat and walked on water, you know? Oh, look at Peter, he didn't have faith. Can I, can I just remind us? Actually, there were 11 other big, fat boat potatoes that wouldn't get out of the boat, all right? So, so Peter should be the one like, yeah, Peter, go. I'm just saying, will you risk? I'm just saying, will you not let the barrier be something between you and God? God wants to do miracles in the life of Victory Church. And this is not the end of 17 years. This is the beginning of the 18th year. This is the beginning of a brand new season and the harvest, the fields are white and people literally every single day will die in this country in America and they will spend eternity somewhere and that ought to matter to me. And if I go to bed at night somehow being okay with people that will be lost forever, there is something not right inside my heart. So church, this is your moment. This is the, this is the ava moment of Victory Church where the barrier cannot control us because we serve a God that parts the ocean. We serve a, we serve a God that makes water and a, a, a river stand up. We serve a God that when you march around the walls of a city, because he tells you to, the walls fall down. We serve a God that walks on water, that changes water into wine. By the way, the best wine probably of that day. We serve a God that wants to do miracles in your lives. The only question is, the first step is yours. Will you take it? I want, you, I want you to see a story. It's one of the most powerful stories in our church's history. And it was just six weeks ago when I preached this exact message to our church. I, had a, I felt God, we had a time of response. And, and, and this response led to so many stories. This is one of them. Where God stepped in and did a mighty work. I want you to see the story of Jim. His life was forever changed and you ask him about his Ava moment, he'll tell you the seat he was sitting in, he'll tell you the day he was at church, he'll tell you how many steps it took to get to the front of the church, and he will tell you of the great power of God 
in his life. Take a look at Jim's story. I want you to meet a man that has an incredible story. Uh, I, I, I want you to meet um, Jim. And actually, Jim is uh, his last name is Bogart. And you are related to who? Humphrey Bogart. Now, he that, was my cousin. Humphrey Bogart with his cousin. So, trivia. It, does, it doesn't matter for the story, but I thought that was really cool. Like, and he grew up not really liking movies and and because uh, everyone kind of made fun of him. Everybody made so much fun of me. I hated the guy and hated movies. Yeah. Jim, you're, you've, you've got such a powerful story, and um, let, let's go back to the start. I mean, we're, we're going to get to the miracle, but let's go back to when you were a boy, what happened? I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. Sorry? Um, there was absolutely no love at all. Um, my parents both went to their graves without ever saying, I love you to me. Never once did I get a kiss, a hug, or even a good job or an attaboy or a pat on the back. There was no encouragement at all, so I would misbehave a lot just to get some kind of attention because bad attention was better than none at all. Mm -hmm. And I felt very neglected, very unloved, and that carried over to God as well. Although I believed in God, I felt that he hated me and wanted nothing to do with me except to destroy me. And uh, it greatly affected my childhood. Wow. The problem was started when I was 13 years old and I was out in the middle of the lake fishing and a thunderstorm came over the mountain and uh, I'm rowing for all I was worth and suddenly there was a tremendous explosion and a brilliant flash and the smell of sulfur and the pain, all my hair standing on end and I woke up the next morning back at camp not knowing what happened. You got hit by lightning. I did. Wow. And I figured that was God telling me how much he hated me. Um, Six months later, I broke my appendix on a camping trip, and because everybody thought, ah, it was just the flu, um, I didn't go to the hospital a week later, and by then, um, there was nothing they could do for me. And um, my parents were told that there was no hope, um, not even a slight chance of survival. And, but God had other plans had for other me, plans. and thus began probably at least six different death-defying situations that God brought me through. Nine major surgeries. I've spent probably three months total in the hospital, three weeks in convalescent care. Uh, just one thing after another that to, God has brought me through. To talk, talk, to us, or to talk to us about just the thing you shared earlier before the interview. You, um, you fell. I did. This was about eight years ago. I was blowing leaves and I backed up and fell backwards over a retainer wall, hit the concrete patio below me and uh, nearly broke my neck, caused severe spinal cord damage. And it was from that point that the paralysis and the neuropathy and the chronic pain really took off on me. Mm. And um, I got to where I couldn't walk at all. And I became a prisoner in my own home. Couldn't even hardly walk to the mailbox to get the mail. And even if the bus came right to the door to pick me up, it was excruciating. So let me get this straight. So for 50 years, like, like we're talking today about in, in our series about the promised land and how these, these people wandered and they never really made it to their promised land. For 50 years, you have been in, in, in chronic pain and, and, and been to neurologists and all kinds of different doctors. Is that, is that, am I understanding this right? That is right. Um, I've been fighting the paralysis, the neuropathy, the chronic pain, fibromyalgia, rheumatoid and osteoarthritis, as well as now the, for the last eight years, the spinal cord injury. 
and uh, plus diabetes as well. And wow. It's been quite a journey over the last 51 years. I've literally been in the valley of the shadow of death that entire time, waiting on God yeah. and uh, wandering in the wilderness, looking to Him because He was my only hope. I never gave up hope on him, uh, and I knew that someday a miracle would happen. And Jim, when um, when did God? Uh, we were at when we had the healing service. We it was a very spontaneous moment, and I just asked people um, if if they felt that they could believe God to heal their body physically, or to heal a relationship, or to heal their heart spiritually, to um, to come forward and. And much like the Israelites, they had to, God told them what to do, but then they had to step into the water. And, and Jim uh, was one, I remember seeing you. You were one of the very first people that was up out of your seat, and, and you walked right right up to the stage, and, and your eyes told the whole story. You were desperate for God to heal you. You were desperate to go into your promised land. And tell us what happened. Yeah, I had done this three or four times before, and nothing had happened. Hmm. And... God spoke to me and said, go. And I just knew that this time it was different. And while I was being prayed for, I felt hands grab both ends of my spine and pull it tight. And I was able to stand up straight for the first time in years and the pain that I've had for years and years and years disappeared. The joints that were frozen suddenly were free to move in any direction that they would move. Um, there was no pain. There was no paralysis. There was no neuropathy. Um, it was all gone. There was no spinal cord injury anymore. I could move. Like you've been waiting your whole life. I was. And your promised land, now you're in it. You're there. I am. I am. Uh, I'm able to do things now I've never been able to do. Hmm. And I'm now running. I've never been able to run, and I'm, I'm going to run in a marathon. That's awesome. This, this will kind of, this video and this story will kind of memorialize your story for, for all of us as a church because um, we, we all want the miracle, and we all want the Jordan experience. And the challenge is, it's like we say this before, we'll never know what God would do until we step into the water of what God could do. He stepped into his Jordan River and his step was walking out of his chair after after God not showing up year after year after year after year after year. He he never gave up hope and he stepped up and God did what only God could do. And I hope for people watching this um, on TV or uh, on the internet, friends that I know in different places around the country and around the world, um, don't give up. Know that God's with you. And sometimes this first step is the hardest step, but we'll never know until we step in the water. So Jim, thank you. Thank you for taking those steps. That must have been 10 steps that you made from your seat to the front of the stage and probably the best 10 steps of your whole life. Yes, it was. Yeah. God just told me to do it. So I did it.
Church, before we're dismissed, can I ask two things? Number one, can, can I ask everyone, if, if you would, just to bow your heads, just for a moment, I want to pray, specifically for someone that's here, and your Ava moment is just about to happen. And, and please don't think about whatever's going on or what you got to do tomorrow. This is the moment that God set before time. This is the moment that God, before you were created in your mother's womb, the moment that you would say yes to Jesus Christ, the moment where you would surrender your only life to him. So if you've never made this commitment before, it's really simple. The Bible says confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead and you're saved. So pray this prayer with me, friends. If this is your heart's desire, just, just, just say, hey, dear Jesus, He's the God that died for you, the God that loves you, and the God that's here right now. Dear Jesus, here I am. Just tell him, here I am. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the grave. I confess that I can't make it on my own. I need you. Tell him, I need you. I ask you to come into my heart right now to save me to forgive me and to lead my life. Friends, if you just prayed that prayer with just to honor the moment, would you just raise your hand up? If you prayed that prayer with me just now, would you raise up your hand? Pray to ask Jesus into your heart. Okay, cool. Who else? Just I know it feels weird to raise your hand, but it's cool. Just raise up your hand to heaven and tell God thanks. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for lives that are changed for the moments that I know what you want to do next. And we love you. Friends, can I ask you to stand now? And as we're led in a song, maybe the the elders and the the pastors here could come and just stand down front, just like Jim did, just just for a moment. And you have an awe moment where God wants to heal you. God wants to heal a relationship. God wants to change a situation in your life. And the barrier is just just between you and this stage right here. Will you you take the step? Will you trust God as a student to let God change your heart? So as the leaders come and stand right here, would you just come right now and just come and just just walk down the aisle and say, I want God to heal this relationship. I need God to restore my faith. I need God to change my heart in this situation. I want God to heal my marriage or my finances. Just come and stand. This is, this, this is the Ava moment that God has created for you right now. And there is nothing to feel weird about because we are the church of Jesus, right? So just come and stand. Here's the leaders, your pastors, people that love you. Just come and, and stand next to one of them. And as they put you, their hand upon your shoulder and they pray for you, God is going to do a mighty work in this church. This is the Ava moment that God has created for you. So just come, church. Just come. Just come down front. Let God lead you. Let him touch you. Let his power transform you. Let the spirit of God descend upon this place. Fire from heaven right now. Just come all the way back there. Just trust him. Some for physical healing. Some for spiritual restoration. Some for relationship healing. Just let Jesus do what Jesus does best in these moments, okay? Let's worship. Let's sing, let's worship and lift up that name. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.